Fan Junkies Radio is brought to you by FanJunkies.net, where sports meets social networking. Gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Fan Junkies Radio. I am your host, Jonathan Ragus. Alongside me, as always, Mike McShane. Mike, what's up, buddy? Hey, Jonathan. Excellent, excellent. Just uh, having a having a little chuckle here for a moment. We <laughs> were going into the show. Yeah, it's always nice to start dying laughing before you. Yeah, go I was hoping I wasn't going to be laughing through the through the intro there, but. <laughs> well, you stopped, which uh, kind of scared me, man. Because we stopped, I thought you killed yourself up there. <laughs> Too much fun for a Monday. Yeah, I hear you. I yep. hear you, man. We got a really, really good show. Oh yeah, we do. Really good show. Um, very happy about it. Joining us at around the twelve fifteen uh, mark here on Fan Junkies Radio will be former NHL ref Kerry Frazier. Real excited about that. Uh, yep. Talking to Kerry via email over the last uh, couple of weeks, and uh, seems like a great, great guy. And me being a diehard hockey fan, you, Mike, as well, we know uh, a lot about Kerry Frazier from over the years. Well, we certainly saw. I mean, I, I mean, I can state this, and I know you did too as well. But I, I mean, I saw a heck of a lot of games that man officiated. Oh, nine, oh 1,800 um, plus games. I think uh, we probably saw, what, 1,500 of them? <laughs> yeah, it would have to be easily. You know, I remember when he came into the league, uh, and as I was pointing out to you uh, pre-show, you know, he was one of those recognizable officials. Yeah. You know, you just you didn't forget his name. There were a couple of officials you just didn't forget. Kerry Frazier was one of them. Yeah. Well, Kerry definitely had a prolific officiating career, there's yep. no doubt about that. So we'll be talking to Kerry at the 12.15 mark, and uh, we'll take a couple of uh, questions from Twitter, and we'll also uh, take a uh, call from the yep. fans to see if we can, uh, oh. you know, if, if Kerry's okay with that, we'll ask him, and uh, since he seems like such a great guy, I'm sure he will be. So Absolutely, that'd be fantastic. Absolutely. So uh, let's jump right into it right now, because we've got a lot of things to talk about. Yep. And I'm uh, sure uh, we'll probably talk to, you know, want to talk to Kerry for at least uh, three hours, but of course we won't I be I would think, that. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. three hours for sure. Yeah, it's not every day you get to speak to somebody like Kerry Frazier, so real excited about that. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's get into our hat-trick picks here on NHL.com, yeah, com. Mike, you tied me. You got a hat-trick on Friday, so we're now 3-3. Three, three. Thank you for the acknowledgement. I thought perhaps maybe you would ignore it completely. But well, you know, I gave it to you, so I wasn't thinking about it. So. <laughs> All right, but let's go here. So uh, which team will win between my New York Rangers versus the Carolina Hurricanes? You know, can I tell you, every one of these questions today was very, very difficult to pick. I agree. Um, I, I, I sat here going back and forth, back and forth. Uh, this is a tight match. I'm going to go with the Rangers because I think that they've got to get off the schneid. Uh, Jonathan, they've lost three in a row, and I think that they've got to come off. They got to get off of it. Um, this is a home game for them. They're going to be playing it at MSG, so they're going to. I, I think they're going to win this game. Great, great. You know me. I we. Uh, you know I believe blue, man. Now, I got a question in my heart, so I got to pick my New York Rangers no matter what. You know, before we move on, I got a quick question for you uh, with regard to this game, uh, since we're talking about it for a moment. Yeah. Uh, I heard your program yesterday, your your Ranger Nation program. Terrific show, by the way, folks. Sunday afternoons, it was a great program with uh, you and Glenn, and uh, uh, who else is on with you? I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Terrific job. 
you know, you were talking a little bit yesterday about your Ranger fan base panicking. If you lose tonight, you know, now this has been the talk with the Flyers as well, and the Flyers are in a similar situation. A lot of people are writing them off now at this point. Yeah. If you lose tonight, is it starting to look a little dim? Uh, it'll start to dim slightly, Mike, but it's not time to panic yet. Uh, you know what? If uh, Carolina wins tonight and beats the Rangers outright, they'll go five points up into the eighth spot. Um for the playoffs. So, uh, you know, there's still some games to play. There's still some games to win. Anything can happen. The Rangers could easily still make the playoffs. Uh, but you know what? It's not time to panic yet. Okay. We'll let you know All over right. at Ranger Nation when it's time to panic. <laughs> we'll be the first to know. Absolutely. When it's time to hit the panic button. Listen, either, either Glenn, Chris, Eric, uh, you know, Tal, Matt, Mark, or myself, we'll let you know over at nrnation.net. So. All right, there you go. All right, let's get to the second question. Will Steven Stamkos of the Tampa Bay Lightning score at least one goal tonight, Mike, against your Philadelphia Flyers? I'm saying yes. Uh, Stamkos has been absolutely prolific. He's uh, got 20 goals in 29 games. Uh, been off the mark uh, a little bit recently, but I think tonight might be the night. Um, just the kind of goaltender you want to be throwing him out in order to get one and back on the board, and that would be Briscoff. Absolutely. And you're saying yes? I'm saying yes. Okay. I am saying yes as well. Now, for the third question, Mike, this could make or break either me going up 4-3 or you going up 4-3 in this contest. Which team will win between the Vancouver Canucks and the Minnesota Wild? It's another, another tough game to call. Uh, these two teams are so evenly matched. Uh, I'm going to give a little bit of an edge, uh, home ice edge, to Vancouver. I'm going Vancouver as well. So, uh, once again, we either sail together or we sink together. We are identical. Yeah, which is why we're so mediocre. Exactly. (laughs) Just like our NFL picks all year. (laughs) Oh, man. We Ah. should have hit this for NBA, too. man. We should have, but there's too many games. Hmm. All right. Mike. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Well, uh, you know, I got uh, I, I got one big one, and then I'll just throw a little one out there because they're both hockey-related and uh, well worth mentioning. 68 years ago today, 1945, Maurice Rocket Richard became the first NHL player to score 50 goals. Wow. 68 years ago today. The Rocket. Uh, yep. Uh, now, interestingly enough, just to go along with that, because I think it's well worth mentioning, 121 years ago today, 1892, Frederick Arthur, Lord Stanley of Preston, announced that he had purchased the trophy to be presented to the hockey champion of Canada, forever known thereafter as the Stanley Cup. The greatest trophy in sports. sports no doubt about sports, that. Sports, the Holy Grail. Absolutely. Nothing better than the Stanley Cup. 121 years ago today. Yeah. All right. Uh, God knows we've heard an awful lot of stories about where that thing has been. <laughs> absolutely. Twenty. Uh, you know what? Uh, you know, our good friend Brett over at WrestleChat just wrote me on Facebook and saying it's it's Ilya Brzezgalov, Steven Stamkos will have a hat trick tonight. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I. Pre- hey, that's not like Brett. Brett doesn't normally do that. <laughs> no, but I think he's uh, just about had it right now. Uh huh. Everybody, I think, has with Mr. Universe. <laughs> All right, let's talk a little bit about baseball real quick here, Mike. Uh, we got some news uh, about a week or two ago that uh, Yankees first baseman Mark, uh, Mark Teixeira had a strained wrist. Came out two days ago that he now has a partially torn tendon sheath in his right wrist. And um, from the reports that I read that I sent you, Mike, it sounded like he would be going under season-ending surgery. Yes. Now, from what I'm reading today from the AP, it's saying that uh, – 
there, he didn't rule out about missing at least up to two months of the regular season. Mm-hmm. That's a big difference there, Mike. There sure is. Big difference. Uh, first, you can get you know what you can get along without having Mark Teixeira for two months if you're the Yankees. Oh, really? You think so? season is a little different? Whole <laughs> season is a little different. Um, now let's talk about this. Now um, speaking to our good friend Frank Close over at Philadelphia.com yesterday about this, and we heard three names that Brian Cashman is uh, what we're, was going to reach out to or already has reached out to. Mm-hmm. One of them being Chipper Jones, retired. The other being Derek Lee, retired. The other being Scott Rowland, should be retired. Let me ask you now, Mike, where do you see the Yankees going with those three names? You know what, we're, you know what, we're not even going to say three names. We're going to knock it out. Two names, Derek Lee and Scott Rowland. Chipper Jones won't be a Yankee. No, I, I agree with you. It's not, that, that's not happening. He wouldn't come out of retirement. And if he does? To the Yankees. And, and, right, go ahead, if he does. Go back to Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, right. I, I, you know, listen, if he no, does... No, I, nowhere. doesn't if, matter who it is. If, if he does and he were to go to the Yankees, I think he would be terribly maligned. Agree. So now, I'm going to ask you now, between Derek Lee and Scott Rowland, if Teixeira is done for the entire year or a really big chunk of the season, who would you rather have? Uh... Wow. Uh, well, of those two, I think you have to go with Derek Lee. I, I, I don't. I don't. We're talking about a first base position, are we not? Yes. Yeah. I. You know. Uh, Scott Rowland was a third baseman. Um. I, I'm not saying that in his. You know. Uh, you know, at the age he is, I'm not saying he couldn't uh, convert over to that. 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 Yes, he could. Uh. But. I, I think uh, Derek Lee would probably be the better option if that's the way you got to go. Now, let me ask a question though. If, in fact, this report is true, and you're looking at two months versus the entire season, do you really need to be thinking about getting someone else in there? If it's just for two months? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You're still going to have to get somebody, but yeah, you but need yeah, but somebody saying, to plug that hole well, sure, but that saying, isn't a Scott Roller or a Derek Lee. Do, do you, yeah, okay, but that's what I'm saying. Do, you, do we really have to be reaching in to be pulling guys you know, uh, aging guys uh, out of retirement? Hey, that seems to be the Yankees' way since George Steinbrenner died. <laughs> You know, uh, talking to Frank Close, like I said before, I came out and told Frank, I don't see anybody going to the Yankees except for Derek Lee. I think they have a better chance, especially at what Scott Rowland was asking Brian Cashman and the Yankees for, which was significant playing time. Well, Frank Close says, well, you know what, if he is out for the season, you can easily sign Scott Rowland, play him at third, and shift Kevin Euclid over to first. Okay, and that, that, okay, I could see that probably a little more realistically than than putting Scott Rowland over at first. All right, well, that's you know that doesn't make any sense to me. But um, uh, I, I go back to the I go back to the report, uh, Jonathan. Uh, you know the initial report was we were looking at season ending surgery, and now the report is two months. Yeah. And am I, I go back to the report only because I'm I'm questioning which one is actually accurate. I think you've got a bigger bigger issue that you have to address if it's uh, a long-term season-ending situation versus two months. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know which one is correct. I don't know which one is accurate. I mean, the the, the report that you sent over to me, I guess it was, when, when was it, yesterday or Saturday, yeah. uh, was a lot more alarming than what we're reading here this morning. Yeah, I don't know. Which way do you look at it? Do you think... My, Shara's gonna, I mean, from what you're reading from the first two, you know, from the first report I sent you over the weekend, and now this one, 
What does it sound like to you? Are, you know, it's, is this just damage control right now, or what? That's, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking the article that we've got here today, which is saying two weeks or two months. I, I'm thinking this is a damage control situation, as you just point out. That this is a lot of blue smoke and mirrors. Yeah. You know, uh, this is the Yankees. Uh, you know, throwing something out there for their fan base. For God's sake, this team it just keeps getting older and older and older as we go, uh, and, and looking more and more and more like a bottom feeder. I don't know. I, 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 you know, so I, I think that for the sake of their fan base, I think that they're putting this out as saying, okay, it's going to be two months. It's not going to be the entire season. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know what to make of it. Yeah. Uh, but again, I still go to a, 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 you can't tell me that the Yankees don't have, pardon my double negative, don't have somebody down in a, in a, in a farm team that they could bring up to play first base. I guess not if they're reaching out to uh, every retired first baseman on the market. Yeah. Also, Scott Rowland has never played first base in his career. Well, there you go. See, I didn't think it was a good move to be putting him over there. But Frank's concept of, of swapping out Euclid Smart move. Yeah. Smart. I still think they'll end up with Derek Lee, but... Uh, I, I that, would make, that would make more sense. Yeah. We'll see what happens there. I mean, if you have to go that route at all. Yeah, that that makes more sense. I think Derek Lee could be a little bit more of a better hitter right now than uh, Scott Rowland in, in in this period in both of their careers. I, I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. All right, real quick, Mike, let's get into this. Uh, I know we got Kerry Coleman. We're uh, expecting that and excited about that. Uh, got to throw this out there. Something we wanted to talk about here, real quick. Mavericks owner Mark Cuban uh, gave Derek Fisher a uh, very warm welcome uh, during his return to Dallas on Sunday night, and what it was was. A nice round of booze, as well as the <laughs> Dallas fans as well. Now, why are we you know, talking about this? Who cares about this, right? No, well, guess what? I care about it. And I'll tell you why I care about it. This goes to the point where we have said many times before, players have too much power. Mm-hmm. Now, Derek Fisher told Mark Cuban, I miss my family. Can we please get myself out of this contract so I can go home and be with my family? Yeah. Mark Cuban... We all know Mark Cuban, very nice guy. You know, what you see on the outside is what you get on the inside, and that's what we've heard from a lot of people about Mark Cuban. He said, well, of course, I, he missed his family. What am I going to do? Let me get you know, let me get him out of his contract so he can go back home. Now, why did Mark Cuban boo Derek Fisher last night? Well, because he waited 60 days, and then he signed with the Oklahoma City Thunder. This is the third time now that Derek Fisher has done this in the NBA, getting out of his contract to sign with another team. The first time I could see it happening. Why? Because his daughter was suffering from a rare form of eye cancer, and he wanted to be not in Utah, but he wanted to be in L.A. near better doctors. I could see that, Mike. Right, right. Utah was nice enough to let him go. Family means more than anything. Family's first. But he's done it twice now since then. This is why Mark Cuban booed him last night, because he thought that Derek Fisher wanted to just, you know, be done with it, be home with his family, really wanted to be around them, but he waited 60 days, signed it with a, you know, he signed with a contender. Um, there was no loyalty there, Mark Cuban said. There was no loyalty to the fact that if he didn't want to return, how come he didn't call me to try to get me back on right. the Dallas Mavericks? Right. Well, I, I, and make no mistake, I don't blame, I don't blame anybody uh, for booing this situation. Yeah. Mark Cuban, the fan base there, any of them, I don't blame any of them for booing on this situation. I agree. Uh, I, I, to me, that is just a that's a that's a chump move. I mean, make no mistake. Yeah, absolutely, uh, chump. You know, and, and as you pointed out, Jonathan, the guy's got a a, a, a pattern here. 
all right? We've seen this kind of thing before. We've seen this behavior. And again, I, I agree with you. It goes right to the heart of what we've talked about so, so many times, and that's the concept that the NBA is a prima donna league. Yeah. These guys can set their own rules, and, and, and it's all about them. Sidekick said it the other night as well, that, that the NBA is a me-centered league. Absolutely. And this is a beautiful example of it. Yeah. And we'll talk about that more in the future because, uh, man, we love to talk about when players have too much power. So, But let's get to our how about, guest. How about referees with too much power? I think that, there's an insight. We'll ask our guest about that right exactly. now. Exactly. Because joining us right now is a former NHL referee, and everybody knows him, Kerry Frazier. Kerry, thank you for joining us today. Jonathan, my pleasure. Referees can never have too much power. <laughs> Are you sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're just power-hungry guys. That's what the fans think. Touche oh. there, Kerry. i got to tell you, I was talking to Jonathan pre-show here, and I said, you know, uh, Kerry is one of those kinds of uh, uh, referees I remember, you know, very noto- very noticeable. You, you, you know, it was somebody you didn't forget and somebody you screamed at like hell at the television. Well, even my <laughs> wife does that. So, listen, you guys are in good company. <laughs> but you know what? Since Mike kind of insulted you there, we do have to tell you that as at the same time is that we both agreed that probably in our history of watching NHL hockey, which is many, many years, you have probably been, well, most likely have been one of the most consistent referees that we've ever saw with Coles, and we appreciate that as NHL fans. Absolutely. Well, thank you. You know, that's something that every referee strives for or should strive for, and you wanted to uh, allow the players uh, to fully understand what they could and couldn't do, and and that uh, consistency that you you hopefully created for the players uh, allowed them to play the game at at top speed and and certainly on the edge, but knowing that if they crossed it, they would be penalized. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, you know what? Let's jump right into this then. And uh, Kyrie, something uh, you know, Mike and I were discussing earlier on today. Um, we want to know about you. We want to know how did you get into being an NHL official? Did you play hockey before becoming an official? Yes, I did, guys. I, I played in Ontario. Uh, I played to the Junior A level, uh, and I was the captain of the Sarnia Bees uh, in my final season. They're now the Sarnia Sting uh, in the OHL, and uh, it's owned by the uh, Cicerelli family, Dino's uh, brothers. Ah, right. uh, but uh, I was a good little player. Uh, my final season, uh, I played against Mark Howe. He was the last uh, player that, uh, that I played against in junior that uh, finished up in the NHL. And uh, I just wasn't big enough or good enough to make it to the next level as a player. Uh, I could have certainly played uh, at the uh, minor pro league level, but I decided that there had to be a safer venue for me to stay in the game and uh, hopefully make it to the NHL. And I went to a referee school that summer. It was 1972, and my final uh, season had ended as a junior A player. And I went to this school and was scouted at the uh, official school by Frank Udberry, former mm. uh, NHL referee and Hockey Hall of Famer. Mm. And uh, he saw me referee 10 minutes of a game, and he liked what he saw. He figured he could turn me into a referee. I was a good skater. I understood the, the game as a player. And uh, he brought me to training camp two days later to the NHL training camp for officials. They put me in the American Hockey League for a season as a linesman. And the next year they uh, signed me as a referee, served my trade in the, uh, the minor leagues, and uh, finally made it up top in 1980. Wow. What position did you play, uh, Kerry, when you were playing uh, hockey? Were you a center? I was a centerman. I also was a right winger. I, I played with Billy LaHead, who was the Detroit Red Wing first-round pick in uh, 
about 1975, and uh, my job was to get the puck to Billy. So I was a I was a grinder and a, and a hard nosed little player. My dad was a former pro, uh, minor league player, tough guy. He was also a professional boxer, uh, so he taught me well. And and I played a lot bigger than my five foot seven and a half frame. Uh, which was another reason I decided there's got to be a safer way to to get into the NHL aside from being a player. <laughs> now tell us the truth. You did. You, you had a couple brushes with officials, didn't you? Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> but you know, I was very respectful. I was usually a captain from the time I started playing midget AAA in in uh, Ontario, and then through the junior leagues. Uh, I was typically a captain. I and I had respect uh, for the officials. There was one time. That I almost lost it on a on an official, and it was a uh, a, uh, a referee that wouldn't talk to me. He was so arrogant, and I respectfully asked him a question. I even said, "Excuse me, Mr. Referee, can I ask you a question?" And he turned his head and stuck his nose in the air, and I got so angry with him that I cursed at him, and I accused him of being not only blind but deaf. And of course, I got a misconduct penalty for it. <laughs> But you know what, guys? It taught me a great lesson because yeah. when I started to officiate, I took on this yeah. role. You know, I had to be the, the judge and jury, and I had the power, uh, but I had to understand and respect the things that annoyed me as a player and not do that to the guys that I was officiating. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I mean, now you're talking about you being respectful to the referees when you were a player. Did you get a lot of that respect back when you were an official in the NHL? Well, you know, eventually it came. But uh, when I started out, I had the uh, the typical type A personality and uh, the little man syndrome that uh, served me well as a player. And in my very first uh, season, <laughs> in one of my very first games as a referee, I was trying to find my way. And uh, I was banging my hips uh, when players showed me disrespect. Uh, I had the penalty box filled. The home team was losing. <laughs> you know, just terribly, and every time a goal was scored against them, another guy would come and pop off to me, and I'd give him his conduct, and everybody was frustrated uh, on the home team, and the coach sent his captain over at this point in the game. It was like 7-1, to one. the game was over, a couple of minutes left, and, and the captain came over and said, Mr. Referee, my coach wants to know if he can get a penalty for thinking. I said, <laughs> I said well... As long as he doesn't think out loud, he's probably going to be okay. And the captain said, well, in that case, he thinks you're an effing blank hole. <laughs> well, you know, I looked over at the coach, and he had this scowl on his face, and I started to laugh. I found the humor in it. And then his scowl turned to a smile, and he started laughing, and, and it taught me a good lesson. Don't take yourself so seriously. Yeah. Well, that's a great example, Kerry, of, and we've seen it numerous, numerous times. I, you know, as Jonathan pointed out, I've been watching hockey now. Oh, I hate to admit it. Uh, going back to 1974, um, we've seen games get out of control because of over officiating, and we continue to see that sort of thing. Uh, you know, uh, as fans, it becomes very, very frustrating and very annoying. Well, Mike, you know what I, I tried to accomplish? Uh, I tried to develop relationships with players and coaches within the game, one of, one of respect, certainly, um, but uh, it's no different than being successful in any business. If you can't develop relationships, boy, you're going to fail quickly. And what I wanted to do was have the players play on my terms, within the rules, 
without me having to lay the hammer down and put them in the penalty box. And if they understood what they could do and what they couldn't do when Kerry Fraser was on the ice, we had half the battle won. And, you know, there were times, and I remember Tiger Williams when he was playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Tiger was always leading the league in penalty minutes. I had seen him as a junior player. Um, he, on one particular play, brought his elbow up a little bit, and I went to him and I said, listen, Tiger, you got to keep your elbow down. You do that again, you're on the edge, you're going to get a penalty. He said, okay, thanks, Fraze. Well, the next shift he took, I gave him the head fake. I saw him. Our eyes met. He had an attacking player uh, or an opponent close to him, and he was seeing that I saw him. As I turned my head up ice to follow the play, I did a quick head snap back just as Tiger put his elbow in the guy's ear. Mm-hmm. I raised my arm. I called the penalty. I said, Tig, I warned you. He said, I know, phrase my bad. I should have listened. So he got a break. He took advantage of it, and I told him if he did it again, he'd get a penalty. Sure enough, he did, and he was penalized. So I guess the moral of that story for Tiger Williams was, if the referee says don't do it again, don't do it again. If you do, you'll be penalized. As a Flyers fan, i got to say, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. <laughs> <laughs> he was one tough hombre. Boy, I'll tell you, he played hard. That's great. That's great. Now, you know, let's talk about your blog over on TSN now, Kerry. Uh, Come on, Russ. And this is an amazing blog. I follow it. I read it a lot of the times. And uh, it reminds me a lot of what uh, former NFL ref Mike Pereira does on NFL and Fox, where, you know, he tries to explain these calls to the fans. Because a lot of fans don't really understand why certain calls are made and why certain calls aren't made. And you really go into length on your blog to explain this to the fans. Now, um, to me, and I've heard it from a lot of people, because, you know, there's a, there are a lot of fans out there that, you know, shook their fingers at their TVs and said, oh, that Kerry Frazier, you know, when you were a ref and making calls they didn't understand. They're starting to give you that respect now because of your knowledge on the game, and it's coming out in your blog. Was was that where you were aiming for when you started to write this blog for TSN? Well, you know, guys, when I refereed, I was thinking of changing my name to Fraser Sucks. I heard it so often. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the uh, Come On Ref uh, with TSN was a, a spin-off of the book that I wrote uh, after my final game, uh, Rangers-Flyers, uh, Sunday, September 11th of 2010. And uh, as the book was rolled out and the stories that, that took place, the premise of the book was every time I'd go into a, uh, an establishment after a game and I'd see either scowls from fans or they would want and come up and, and question me about a play that maybe caused them upset in the game, mm-hmm. after I got through that first question and I started to share with them, I found out what they really wanted to know was, what's it like down there? What yeah. on the other side of the glass took place that they and their ticket couldn't get them into? They wanted to know what it was like behind the scenes. And we would have great conversations, and I would answer their questions and tell stories, and that's where the book came about, to help these fans understand what it's like to be down at ice level. Mm-hmm. And so following the book and TSN contacting me, they created a segment for me on That's Hockey Tonight, a TV show yeah. called Come On Ref. And we went and spun it even further to reach more people, more fans, with a question of the day. And so while fans initially had this perception of the referees and that they were just out to maybe screw their team, they now understand 
a little more of the background and what a referee is thinking, his position on the ice, and certainly rules. And it's an educational process that I think has really served the fans well. I'm loving it. TSN is loving it. And and, uh, we have a tremendous uh, readership uh, every day, Monday to Friday, uh, with the question of the day. Yeah, the fans absolutely love it, Kerry. I gotta tell you that we've heard a lot of great things about it. Kerry, I uh, I sent out a, a message to a lot of my friends, and as I pointed out, I'm a, a longtime Philadelphia hockey uh, fan here, uh, going back to the mid '70s, uh, and so a lot of my friends go back to that same era as well. And we we have watched this game evolve. And I said to them, I'm going to have Kerry Frazier on the air tomorrow. Are there any questions? Let me throw a couple at you that I got. Sure. Uh, first of all, let's talk a little bit about today's game. One of the things that I thought we were going to see this year, and perhaps maybe you can address it, I frankly am in favor of it, and that is the icing call where uh, skaters are flying down to the other end to touch the puck up. I thought that we were going to see an end to that this season. What happened? Well, I love the hybrid rule that uh, is used in U.S. college. Uh, It makes sense. It's safer. Uh, The American League was testing it for the NHL. They liked it. Uh, the rules committee just isn't ready at the NHL level uh, to implement that standard. Um, they take a while to study every aspect of everything, and I think they need to hurry up the process on this one and adopt it because it really makes a lot of sense. I had a play where a young Washington Capitol first-round draft pick by the name of Pat Peak was rushing in on an icing to touch the puck first. He got touched in the back of the skate, at the goal line, he flew mm-hmm. into the boards feet first. He shattered both heels, and he, after 15-plus operations, he was never the same player. He was out of the game within two years. Uh, career ended on that icing play. We saw Al McGinnis go in and yep. uh, get can openered and uh, almost split himself in half uh, on an icing play. It just doesn't make any sense, and I cringe every time I see guys going in on a race. This hybrid rule... The linesman can make the decision from the hash marks. It gives a good 20 feet for the guys going to the boards to know whether or not that puck is going to be eligible to play or not. Great. The uh, red line. Uh, I, for one, I'm I'm old school. Uh, I want to see the neutral zone uh, two-line offside back in. I also think that it would be a lot safer. It would slow the guys down. Uh, What's your sense on bringing back the relevance of the red line? don't like it. I, I like the open uh, ice. I like the speed. We don't want to slow the game down. We want to keep it keep it fast. We don't want to incur more of the restraining and the holding and the and the stuff that took so many years for us uh, to get out that dreaded word obstruction. Uh, so I love the, the open ice. Uh, I love the stretch passes. It's exciting for the fans. And uh, the guys are so much bigger now and faster uh, that the game is better as a result of no red line, in my opinion. I had a question yesterday from my buddy Russ. He says to me, uh, yes, uh, do me a favor, ask uh, Terry uh, what he thinks of the idea that the coach uh, would get a coach's call uh, against upcoming penalties on the team. Uh, I heard they're trying to get a rule in place for next season. Uh, Is that a possibility? Well, it certainly is, and and, uh, I endorse either the video review for the referee to make the determination, like the NFL referees, uh, have some place where they can look at a play in and around the goal crease where there's contact with the goalie. It's the toughest call that a referee has to make in traffic, and based on the position he is in that moment, uh, games won and lost on goals, and that's where I would like to see the referee go under the hood, 
like they do in the NFL and determine whether or not the contact with the goalie uh, had an effect on the scoring of the goal. And if failing that, a coach's uh, challenge uh, would be something that I would endorse as well, uh, given the fact that we're seeing too many games uh, altered and changed uh, based on uh, a decision that is incorrect. All right. Uh, Kerry, you okay with taking a uh, call right now? Yeah, absolutely. Great. Okay, so uh, joining us right now is a uh, actually well-known uh, guest here on uh, Fan Junkies Radio, Brett from WrestleChat. Uh, Brett, you're on the line with Kerry Frazier. Hi, guys. How are you today? Great, Good, Brett. Thanks. Great. Uh, Kerry, it's very, uh, it, thank you for taking the call. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to uh, ask you a question. Um, the question I want to ask you is probably something that you've discussed quite a bit. Uh, back in 2009, you did a, a radio interview with AM640 up in Toronto, and it was in regards to uh, the call in 1993, the Campbell <laughs> Conference Finals, Game 6, uh, right. Wayne Gretzky clips Doug Gilmore with a high stick, draws blood, Gretzky does not get called, and uh, moments later scores the game winner, forces a Game 7, uh, and the rest is history. Uh, in that interview in 2009, you actually expressed a little bit of uh, regret now that you have gotten to watch the play, I'm sure, many, many, many times. Uh, do you still regret that call, and are there any other calls of significance that you feel the same way now? Well, Brett, thank you for the question, and that was certainly the most significant missed call that I ever had in my career. It's the one that haunts me. Uh, you know, I've I've gotten through it and I've gotten over it. Uh, there was a lot of fallout that resulted from that missed call. Uh, referees never really think about or remember all the great calls they made, the good calls, the right calls. It's the ones that you've missed. And in this particular case, there was not one of greater magnitude uh, that I didn't see. Uh, was blocked out, and it happened in a flash of an eye. And, you know, even Doug Gilmore, when I went to him, with, with he was dabbing the blood from his chin, and I said, Killer, what happened? And he said, Gretz shot the puck, and his follow-through hit me in the chin. And I said, well, if that's the case, that's not a penalty. Doug Gilmore thought that it was a shot from Gretzky. I thought that might have happened based on the action of Gretzky's stick and the face-off and the puck being there. Uh-huh. Uh, but nonetheless, that wasn't the case. You know, five replays later, it clearly showed that uh, Gretzky was reaching uh, for Doug Gilmore and uh, did clip him in the chin with the stick. He shouldn't have been on the ice. He should have been in the penalty box for four minutes and never would have scored that winning goal. Uh, the Kings were on the power play at that time, too. So it was a double whammy uh, because uh, Glenn Anderson had uh, almost run uh, Rob Blake uh, through the boards from behind and got a boarding penalty. So it was uh, it was really a, a bad miss and an unfortunate situation. Uh, my father, who lived in Sarnia, Ontario, had watched the game on TV, and, and he was awakened about 4 in the morning uh, with uh, a car driving into the back of his mini motorhome out in his driveway, back mm. and forth, back and forth. And it turned out it was a Leaf fan that had driven from almost near Toronto, 180 miles away from my dad's hometown, and uh, was looking for the Fraser family uh, homestead. <laughs> oh, man. Had you uh, made that call, though, Kerry, there probably would have been an absolute uh, echo of booze coming down. Yet, would, yet, I mean, looking well, back... No, that's okay. That's, no, uh, that's yeah. okay. The right, I mean, I've been booed out of most places, so it wouldn't have hurt my feelings. <laughs> but the, the right call has to be made, and the tough call has to be made. And first of all, you've got to see it. You've got to be in the right place to see it. Yeah. I remember vividly calling the two linesmen, Kevin Collins and Ron Finover, because it just didn't smell right. It didn't feel right. 
And uh, I said, guys, please help me. And Collins had just dropped the puck on the face-off. He was backing up, and he was the one that had the best look. And he said, you know, I didn't see it real clear, but Gilmore was bent over, and I, I just I don't think it was a high stick. So as soon as the word think comes in, I'm not going to apply a penalty. It has right. to be. I clearly saw it, and it has to be definitive. Uh, we, we can't guess on a play like that. So the thinking amongst the uh, delegation of you at that particular time was that it was incidental contact. Well, Ron Finn had certainly no uh, no look at it. He said, Kerry, I can't help you. And Ron Finn, I'll tell you, he, I, I would take that guy anywhere if he saw something, regardless of the outcome, the effect, or the personal uh, jeopardy he might put himself in, he would make the tough call. And he said, I just can't help you. I didn't see it. And, uh, of course, Kevin had the best look, and he just wasn't sure enough to uh, give me the answer that would cause me to say, okay, it's a high-sticking penalty. Yeah. Well, you know, Kerry, let me ask you this, because you've been on the ice and you have, uh, you know, officiated games with some of the greatest, greatest players that the NHL has ever seen, from Gretzky to Messier and on. Um, now that you aren't an official anymore and, you, and you're able to watch some of these games on TV and, uh, you know, get to know some of these new players, who are some of your favorite players uh, on the ice right now? Well, you know, the the obvious ones are, are Sidney Crosby, the face of the game. You've got Ovechkin. Uh, you've got Stamkos. Stamkos is such a great kid, too. I mean, he played in uh, my hometown of Sarnia uh, for the Sting and the Cicerelli brothers, and and uh, he is uh, such a workhorse. Uh, you know, Neil in, in Pittsburgh is another great player. There's so many good young players. When I first started in the 70s and, and into the NHL in the 80s, you know, you think back to the dynasties, the, the Islander teams that were so good. Yep. Um, he, he won four, you know, and could have won five possibly. Yep. And, of course, the, the Oilers uh, with Gretzky, Coffey, Messier, uh, Anderson, Curry, all the, the that semblance of talent, so <laughs> skilled, and they were so brash as young players too, like really cocky guys that just loved to play the game. And I, I was able to watch their careers throughout. And Messier, I mean, that guy just loved to play the game. I was blessed to have his final game uh, in the NHL. I was yep. I was actually put into that game uh, at the last minute because it had potential for a playoff position. And uh, to see when, uh, Mark Messier standing at center ice before I dropped the puck after the national anthem, it was just him and I. He had his stick across his eyes. He looked over at his family by the penalty bench. He looked up at me with tears in his eyes and said, Kerry, I'm so glad you're here. I wouldn't have wanted anybody else here but you. And it man. just kind of melted me. I thought, man, you talk about respect. I respect this guy so much, and he's given it back to me. Uh, what, a, what a tremendous opportunity uh, to be in that place at that time. And so uh, every every player... Uh, that uh, I saw over the course of my career right up to the end. You know, I miss some of these young stars uh, that are now playing, such as in Edmonton and other places, these first-round mm -hmm. picks that come out. Yeah. Uh, I really miss the uh, the chance to go on with them, and the competitiveness in me still wants to be out there with those guys. My uh, Flyers fans, uh, friends out there wouldn't let me uh, get away with, uh, out bringing up the uh, the Islanders, you mentioned the Islanders. There, there's one there. They may have won that they shouldn't have. Uh, thanks to a two-line <laughs> offside pass. Let's not forget that. <laughs> so my my Flyers friends out there would uh, berate me if I let you got off the line without uh, saying something. <laughs> well, you know, I still have a Leon Stickle pin 
the, the fans of Philadelphia <laughs> made this pin with Stickle, and he had two hands over his eyes like I see no evil. And uh, Leon was a great guy, and I, I often asked him, I said, Stick, how could you miss that? He said, I was a lot better on the close ones. It's the, it's the long ones I usually miss. But i got to tell you, we, we've got a hockey game coming up this Sunday, uh, guys, uh, Palm Sunday uh, at 12 noon at Madison Square Garden. And it's the NHL alumni playing the NYPD. Um, I'm going to be refereeing that game. Ah. All proceeds are going to uh, Hurricane Sandy Relief. It's a big deal. Patty Lafontaine is going to play. Uh, Benoit Hogue is, uh, is part of the organizing committee. Uh, the Stan Lee Foundation is uh, is backing it and promoting it. And, That's great. Uh, i got to tell you, it's uh, it's such a worthy cause. There's still people that are, are suffering from uh, Hurricane Sandy, and these guys are all coming back. Ron Greshner is going to be behind the bench. Uh, Ron Duguay is going to be out there, and I know his hair is going to be flowing. As a matter of fact... <laughs> now put him in the box, Kerry. Well, no put way. Him in... him... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he and I are not going to be wearing helmets, I'll bet you, right now, and uh, we're going to have a hair off. <laughs> Well, uh, you know what, man? I, a lot of people are going to be expecting that. So, <laughs> <laughs> I said to Duke, we did a tour uh, last year together out west with uh, some retired guys, and, and uh, I had the microphone, and I was doing the refereeing and, and doing some play-by-play and telling stories to the fans. And I interviewed Duke, and I said, Duke, what's it like to have the second-best hair in hockey compared to me? <laughs> You know, I threatened I was going to bring up the hair. I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> well, you know, you never got a bad perfect... hair day, boys. Never yeah, a bad hair. Very, I'm convinced it's why you're so you're so recognizable. <laughs> it had to be the hair, and that's why you wouldn't wear the helmet, right? Well, you know, uh, Craig McTavish and I talked as did, as did Wayne Gretzky. Wayne wore that little Jaffa helmet, and I, the three of us, all felt that we developed a sense of radar. Uh, and we're more aware of our environment if we weren't protected in the head. And, and Mac T told me, he, guys just respected the fact if he went in the corner, they didn't bring the sticks up. Well, I can attest to that because when Bill Daly forced me to wear a helmet through our new collective bargaining agreement at the end, uh, the very first game I got hit in the head four times with sticks in the corner with a helmet on. And throughout my entire career without a helmet, I had deflected pucks catch me three times in the face for cuts that was it so it it makes a lot of sense to wear a helmet now with the uh, size of these guys and everybody's gladiated up i think they're going to probably end up with visors uh mandatory before we know it uh but uh for me it was all about uh knowing and feeling the radar and having it up working yeah well that's great well Kerry, it's you know honestly we would love to sit here and talk to we could easily talk to you for another six hours, I think. So. You're not kidding. You're not kidding. <laughs> well, you know, I got a whole other book ready. The, the final call was full of back behind the scenes stories, and, and they just keep unraveling as I as I talk to different people. Uh, you know, it's every every game and every recall is another event that happened throughout the course of my career. Well, and, the, and it's an amazing career, Kerry. We uh, we truly appreciate everything you've did on the ice and uh, everything you're doing off of it now with uh, your amazing work over at TSN and. You know, just joining radio shows like this and telling all these amazing stories and taking questions, it's uh, really appreciated. So. Absolutely. Well, thanks, guys. And listen, Absolutely. I hope to see you at Madison Square Garden on Sunday. And uh, we, uh, you know, the, the, it might be another occasion to hear the chant, Fraser sucks, because my son, <laughs> my son Ryan, who's a New Jersey Transit policeman mm-hmm. and a uh, referee in the American Hockey League, is going to be joining me on the ice along oh, with an great. NYPD cop 
and another Jersey Transit police officer are working the line. So we've got to, I'm well protected. I've got the long arm of the law with me. That's amazing. Good job. Terry, thank you so much, man. It's, it's it's been a real privilege and honor for us to speak to you today, and we hope to have you back on in the future. Thanks, guys. Anytime. Thanks, Terry. Take thank care. You. Have a good one. Bye now. Amazing show, man. Oh, well, that, was, that was just priceless. Absolutely great, priceless. Great guest. Definitely one of the uh, best guests we've had. That definitely goes into the top three. Absolutely. You know, right. for me, number one, of course, has to be Adam Graves because yeah, I'm a, I, I hear you, fan, man. Adam Graves was my ultimate favorite player of all time, but right there, right next to him, man, you know what? They could even be tied for number one right now. Just Thank great. you, Kerry. But you know what? For NHL fans, if you want to have a question answered by Kerry Frazier, you can email come on ref. C-M-O-N-R-E-F at T-S-N dot C-A, and it will go up on Kerry's Come On Ref blog if you need uh, clarification on a rule, um, you want to comment on a play uh, or, or a rule that happened in uh, a game of one of your favorite teams, or you just have a, a memorable NHL story, write it right to Kerry Frazier at Come On Ref at T-S-N dot C-A. Amazing guy. Thank you, Kerry, so much. Absolutely. Terrific Great stuff. Terrific stuff. Absolutely. All right. Well, you know what? Let's, uh, you know what? It's hard to get into Football after we've had such uh, great NHL talk on here, Mike. So uh, let's go right into it real quick. Um, the Giants, uh, they're very concerned over losing uh, their superstar wide receiver, Victor Cruz. Uh, you know, a team could come right out and sign uh, Victor Cruz to an offer sheet. He is a restricted free agent, which would give the Giants a first-round pick if he accepts it and they don't match it. Would this be a mistake for the Giants not to match a deal for Victor Cruz if it happens. It was a mistake that they didn't do something before it got to this point to begin with. Mm -hmm. That's where I am with it. Absolutely. Um, And and with all due respect, I sent you over the article uh, from this morning from USA Today uh, where New York Giants co-owner Steve Tisch is kind of wringing his hands at the moment. And frankly, in my opinion, Steve Tisch uh, is whining. And my attitude is, stop your whining. You should have solved this problem before it got to this point. Yeah. Um, You know, you're going to sit there now and worry about the fact that you might possibly lose Victor Cruz. Uh, This was avoidable. Absolutely avoidable. Well, absolutely. And you know what? In my opinion, Victor Cruz should not be playing for anybody but the Giants. He should be wearing a Giants uniform next year. Not that I'm a big Giants fan. Uh, But But you know it's right. (laughs) But for, but for Steve Tisch, to me, making comments like this at this particular time that they're anxious is ludicrous. Absolutely. This Absolutely. situation should not have gotten to this point, period. Yeah. Well, you know, he's uh, – it's, it's – you know what? He needs to be with the Giants. Considering that they can never get a full season or anything really monstrous out of Hakeem Nix, this is your go-to guy. This is Eli Manning's go-to guy. You know, they need to keep Victor Cruz no matter what happens now. Even if some team comes out and offers him a ridiculous deal, they have no choice but to match it. Yeah, see, in my opinion, I think they've actually placed themselves in a more precarious position uh, by doing what they did than if they had just worked something out with him on the front end. Now, look, I understand a lot of teams were going through the whole situation where they were going through restructurings and they're worried about the cap. And you've got free agency uh, looming, you know, it was coming down at that particular moment. I understand all of that. But, you know, now you've taken perhaps, uh, has to be probably what, Jonathan, would you say, number two, number three guy on the team? And you have now dangled him out there as a potential that you're going to lose him? Yeah, because there is somebody out there that's going to say, you know what, we need somebody like Victor Cruz. Let's give him whatever he wants. Well, listen, 
Look at look, look at what New England gave to Danny Amendola. Yeah. Garbage deal in my mind. So, so for a guy I, I like mean, that, and I'm sorry, but Victor Cruz is, is 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 50 times better than Danny Amendola is. I I don't know if I would go 50 times, but certainly I would say absolutely. Considering Victor Cruz can stay on the field, 50 Victor, times better. Victor Cruz is 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 a, a far better. Uh, uh, quality than what you've got, in my opinion, than Danny Amendola. Oh, absolutely. And and I think the Giants have just completely misplayed this one right from the beginning. This is a mistake on their part. And I'm sorry, but you know what? If you are a team that needs a wide receiver, you go out and you give an offer sheet to Victor Cruz because what you're going to get in Victor Cruz, you're not going to get with that first-round pick that you're going to be giving up. Well, I'm going to tell you right now. Well, I guess that wouldn't be considered legal. I was going to say, if I were... If I were Victor Cruz's uh, agent, I'd be putting the bug in the ear to a couple of teams. Go make him a really big offer. That way I can jack his price up when the Giants come back. Well, Victor Cruz just changed agents, and he now has Tom Condon, who's Eli Manning's agent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, there's going to be a little loyalty there to the Giants, and for them, well, they're uh, they're lucky that he changed over to Tom Condon. I was going to say, I mean, was that uh, was that something that Cruz did to, to try to get a little bit of of uh, a pleasure with uh, the Giants. I, I don't know, but, you know, Tish said it, his agent changes positive. I'm sorry, if I'm an agent, you know what, if another team comes out and wants to give Victor Cruz a whole lot more money, it's my job to get him that money. You're you darn know. right it is. It has nothing to do with being loyal to the Giants because he already has a client that's playing for the Giants. Doesn't well, you got to ask the question, too. I mean, what kind of loyalty have they really shown him? Nothing right now. I mean, I considering mean, that wasn't the angle out there for nothing. In light of the situation being what it is, I would say that they haven't shown him any love. Yeah, I agree. I agree. They have not showed him any love at all. And uh, at this moment, uh, sorry to my friends that are Giants fans, but if Victor Cruz leaves and goes to another team, the Giants deserve it, every inch of it. Now let's uh, shoot over to uh, Matt Forte. Bears running back Matt Forte uh, is calling the NFL's proposed rule change that would penalize ball carriers who lowered their heads to deliver a blow absurd. And uh, he took the Twitter with a uh, a bunch of messages to really rip into this rule, Mike. Um, the new rule would penalize a runner 15 yards if he initiates contact with the crown of his helmet outside of the tackle box. Mm-hmm. Uh, incidental contact with the crown of the helmet would not be a penalty. What do you think it has as a football fan, Mike? All right, I'm going back and forth on this one, Jonathan, and you're going to have to bear with me a little bit. Uh, I understand what the NFL is attempting to do with this. Uh, we're, we're trying to eliminate the head-to-head sort of stuff. Uh, we have been aware of it on the defensive side of the ball now for, what, two seasons? Yes. Uh, and there have been many, many times where I have watched a running back come barreling through the line, head first, nailing uh, some defender right in the head, and I go, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If it's not going the other way, how is it not going this way. Exactly. Now, at the same time, though, we're talking about a unique position, and that position is the one of running back. We're frequently, in order to get what you need to get to, and for God's sake, go back in history, take a look at some of the pictures. You know, the the normal position of a running back is to be going through their head first. So my question is, how is this call going to be made on the field? And here we go again, where it's going to come down to being one of these things that's going to end up being very, very subjective. Yeah, you know what? I 
You know, I had a problem when, you know, when they started doing that with the defensive players, Mike. One of the things I said was, you know what, you can't change that, the nature of taking a hit and giving a hit. You always are going to lower your head, you know. So uh, it, it, it is it, – it's, it's hard. And how are they going to be able to know that it wasn't incidental and if it was? Except, Jonathan, I, I yeah, I hear what you're saying, except that I think on a defensive side of the ball, there is a difference between putting a shoulder to a guy. Okay, yeah. particularly a quarterback. What's yeah. the quarterback position? Because that's the one that is always oh yeah, the shoulder left. and the crown of the helmet are two different things. Right, and the quarterback is always the red flag position. I mean, you know, by yeah. God, don't touch the quarterback. You know, but to me, it's harder for a running back because you know what, a running back is running up the middle. He's got all these guys coming at him from all different angles. Of course, he's going to put his head down if he happens but, to drive the crown of his head uh, helmet into another player. You can't tell if that's incidental or not because he's just putting his head down to protect himself. Bingo. That's I'm sorry, but you know, his head being up and him getting jarred left and right, I think that there is going to be a potential for an even bigger injury if he doesn't protect himself. You're making my point exactly, and that is that I think that uh, with a defensive player, with a defensive player, it's easier to outlaw the head-to-head stuff. I think it's easier to do it there because yeah. – a a a defender going at a quarterback head to head is different from as I pointed out putting a shoulder into him. No, you I agree. Much damage putting a shoulder into a QB. Yeah. Now the running back, a running back, that's their stance. They're coming through the line that way. Mm-hmm. That's how you run. So I mean, I don't know how you can justify this. It doesn't help at this particular moment. Okay, yeah. that we have a lot of running backs coming out right now, uh, particularly some ones that are fairly. Recently retired, who are coming out now, you know, and I don't know whether it's just a lot of fan in the flame and all that kind of stuff coming out now and saying, uh, yeah, you know, the head injury thing, you know, I'm starting to get early signs of it. Brian Westbrook just the other day indicated his short-term memory is not there. So, uh, you know, and, and this guy's only been out of the league now for what? Two, three seasons. Two, three seasons, yeah. So, you know, I understand what the NFL is trying to do. I'm also wondering whether this one is going to be <laughs> yeah how yeah. are you going to call this one that's yeah. the problem yeah how exactly would you be able to call when uh sidekick in the chat room just said you know what why don't we just put flags on these guys well you know, we're gonna play flag football right flag football man but you know what i agree with matt forte in his tweet you can't change the instinctive nature of running the football right and that's but that's different as i point out from defending the football yeah in defending the football you do not have to go head to head in in running the football, I don't see how you can always necessarily avoid it. Look, let's get it straight. Not everybody out there. In fact, there are very few out there that are Barry Sanders. Okay, that guy didn't run up the middle. He's he he just cut around everybody. But a yeah. Barry Sanders is a very unique individual. Yeah. Oh man, I tell you, it's always something, and it never fails. Um. Just, uh, you know, want to throw this out there real quick. Uh, Leslie Frazier, Minnesota Vikings head coach, uh, saying Christian Ponder is the starter. That's not going to change with Matt Castle there. So we were talking about that last show. Uh, okay. Well, we'll see where that goes. Okay. okay. We'll see where that goes. Because, uh, I'm, oh, absolutely. Listen, I, yeah, I don't believe any head coach for what they say anymore. So. Yeah, we got a long way to go through, go through training camp. I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, I, I'm, I will take bets right now. Matt Castle will be your starting quarterback uh, come September. Uh, for the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. All right, real quick as well, um, Jake Long, offensive tackle from the Miami Dolphins. We talked about him last show, Mike. Uh, Would he go to the Eagles? Would he go here? Would he go there? Will he return to the Miami Dolphins? No. 
He signed with the St. Louis Rams. He is now uh, playing for the Rams. Their second acquisition uh, in free agency, they signed Jake Long. Uh, excuse me, they signed Jake Cook to a uh, no Jared Cook. Excuse me to a five-year deal. All right. I mean, you know, you, you made the comment that sidekicks in the chat room, so I'm waiting to hear, you know, see the applause sign come up uh, over on the chat room. Uh, it's a terrific signing for the Rams. Uh, exactly the kind of thing that they needed uh, to give Bradford a little bit of uh, of support and and protection back there. This is where uh, their offense uh, has been somewhat weak, is in protection of uh, Sam Bradford. So uh, a good, good, you know, listen, good acquisition for the uh, for for the Rams. Agreed. Well, just want to throw it out here, too, that Mike and myself, we're looking for an agent. An agent to take us to the highest parts of the mountain, in the media mountain, Mike. And uh, I just want to, uh, you know, throw out a request to uh, Elvis Doomerville's former agent now, <laughs> Marty McGid. If you need some work, we need to get to the top. Do we want that guy? I'll take him. It's better than what we have now, Mike. We do what you he has a tendency to screw things up, I think. I'm not sure. Uh, listen, if if we get Marty McGinn as our agent, <laughs> we will be buying him a fax machine. <laughs> yeah, we have to. <laughs> a PK, a beeper. Yeah, well, yeah, but see, that's not what the, you know, we're we're not supposed to be providing everything for the agent. The agent's supposed to be providing everything for us. Listen, if he gets me a big money deal, I'll buy him. Uh, dear God. I love it. What, well, a mess, what a mess that is. Absolutely. Psychic just said he loves the Jake Long deal, uh, but we need some receivers for Bradford to throw to. Hey, maybe you guys can get Victor Cruz. Uh, yeah. Why not? I, I don't know what their cap space looks like, but... It's better than their trophy case, man. Oh, okay. Oops. Kurt Warner is St. Louis, man. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that whole situation with Doomerville is just an absolute mess. We were talking a little bit about that uh, pre-show. And I'm not quite sure who to blame there. So, uh, because in some respects, it really does sound like a complete screw-up, in my opinion, on the part of the agent. At the same time, I don't know. Apparently, from what I read, there was uh, issues uh, with uh, with the Broncos not getting the right numbers in the final uh, uh, proposed contract that they submitted. Yeah. So I don't know where it where, where it goes. But wow, what a what a what an unfortunate situation from the standpoint of just screwing up. Yep. Uh, you know, make no mistake. I mean, the, you know, the the Broncos made the case, made the point, and I think it's accurate. Uh, it, listen, there was plenty of opportunity for Doomerville and his agent to get their act together and make sure that this didn't go down to the 11th hour. No. Well, whatever happened, happened, and it's now in the review. So what are you going to do? Um, all right, well, you know what? That's it for our show today. We only have a little over a minute left, Mike, but uh, – Definitely got to throw out a, a, a really, really big thank you to former NHL referee Kerry Frazier for joining us today. What a show it was. We hope to have Kerry back on again in the future because I'm sure he's got thousands of more stories for us. Oh, oh yeah, just a genuine, genuine guy. Uh, we could easily schedule a six-hour show and have him on for about five and a half hours of it. Absolutely. I think we'd have a blast. So, Absolutely. Thank you again to Kerry Frazier. Uh, Wednesday show, 12 10 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, we'll be joined by CEO of Five Star Basketball Camp, Lee Klein. Yet again, we'll be talking about um, NCAA tournament, wait. college basketball, and more. I know Mike is happy about yeah, that. Wait. So tune in to that Wednesday, 12 p.m. Eastern uh, Eastern Time, right here on Fan Junkies Radio. And, uh, yeah, you know what? That's it for today. As always, fredhousesports.net. 
FanJunkies.net. Check them both out. Sign up at FanJunkies. Help us. That's what we're asking for. Be a part of it. Be a part of the revolution. The revolution, Mike. Wow, the revolution. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, for Mike McShane, I'm Jonathan Ragus. Thank you, as always, for listening to Fan Junkies Radio. We'll see you all on Wednesday. See you then.